Paul, the old apostle, told his young friend Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And over the last three months, we have been reminded that God has provided for us means by which we are strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. By the means of his word and worship and prayer and fellowship and service and the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, we come to Jesus through those things, not to get Jesus to love us, but to remember that he loved us and to rest in his love and to rely on his power and his grace. And so this morning, we're going to consider just one of the many ways that the Lord's Supper strengthens us by the grace that is in Jesus. So if you would stand with me, I'm going to pray first, and then I'll read our scriptures this morning. Father, um, we need to hear from you this morning. Your story is beautiful. (laughs) It is the true story of the entire universe. Uh, And yet, it tells us our story as well and how we fit into yours. It shows us your heart. It shows us your good and gracious heart. It shows us Jesus. It shows us and reminds us that you loved us first and that you are the one who loves us best. And so we come to your word uh, humbly submitting ourselves to your voice. Would you speak to us today? Speak um, the words of grace that we need to hear. And we thank you for the privilege of being able to sit together and listen to what you have to say. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord first from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. These famous words of the institution of the Lord's Supper um, recorded for us by Paul. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For, and then Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now this morning, I want to focus on one thing that Jesus said when he instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. What does that mean? It's a strange thing, but it's a very important thing that I want us to think about together this morning. The one, the one, one of the ways that the Lord's Supper can give you grace is for you to understand and remember all of the promises of the new covenant are wrapped up in that cup. And so, we 
go to Ezekiel chapter 36, which is one of the places where the prophets explain to us what, what is the new covenant, what, what, are, what are its promises, what are its blessings. So, hear what God has to say to his people in Ezekiel 36, verses 22 to 28. God says, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. And here are his promises. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. My parents are watching, joining us online, and they'll remember that my second grade teacher once sent, a home, sent home a note on the back of my report card that said this, Jimmy seems to always be thirsty. Perhaps you should check with his doctor. Uh, apparently, I asked to go to the water fountain quite often uh, during class. Jimmy seems to always be thirsty. And over time, I would come to learn that her words were as true of my heart as they are of my body. Jimmy seems to always be thirsty. Thirst has always been a theme of my story. But it's also a theme in the story of all of God's people. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul thirst for you, my heart longs for you. When can I go and be with God? Jesus said in John chapter 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Anyone who drinks of me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And at the end of the story, at the very end of Revelation, we hear these words, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. So the Bible says about all of us what my second grade teacher said about me. We always seem to be thirsty, and our good and gracious God is always ready to be the one who satisfies 
our soul's thirst. God loves soul-thirsty people. But the Bible's also realistic. And it also teaches that since the day Adam and Eve ate that fruit from that tree, you remember? That the appetites of all of our hearts have been ruined. And our souls have acquired a taste for other gods. And so Jeremiah comes along when God's people have proven again and again that they've profaned his name, that they have not thirsted for God as he would love for them too. And Jeremiah comes along in chapter 2, verses 12 to th- and 13 with this message from God. Listen to this. These are strong words. God says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, God says. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the spring of living waters, and they have dug out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, at this point you're thinking, now Jimmy, I have heard you talk about this before, multiple times. Well, guess what? It won't be the last time. Uh, this is one of my favorite, it's kind of weird to say this is your favorite, one of your favorite verses, but it, it has, in my life, exposed in me that I am thirsty. God assumes thirst here. He doesn't condemn thirst. What he's concerned about is where we take the thirst he's given us. And so this verse has has helped me understand myself that I'm a thirsty man and that I have a tendency to take my thirst to the wrong place time and time and time again. And I've told you before, but I want to give you this image again because I think it's so helpful that in Israel in these days, there were three ways to get water. The best way is to have a spring of living water, of fresh running water on your land. And some people had those, just fresh, cool, clear, bubbling water all the time, a never-ending supply. That was one way. Another way was to dig a well, much like we do. You dig a hole down into the earth until you come to the water table where water has collected and gathered. You put a bucket down there and you bring up the water. But the third way, which Jeremiah also mentions here, is to dig a cistern. And the best way to try to understand what a cistern is is to imagine that people have found a a crop of an outcrop of limestone rock, and they dig a hole into that sort of soft rock, and they dig and dig, and then they dig a big pit inside that rock. And at the top, around the hole, they, they dig what would look like to us maybe a really shallow swimming pool, um, maybe the baby pool at the, the local pool. Um, and so the idea was to collect rainwater that would fall into that shallow pool and then fall into that hole and fill up the pit. And then they do what you do with a well. You stick a bucket down there and get it. But what would happen fairly often is that folks would find out that the rock they spent all that time and energy and blood, sweat, and tears digging into, making their cistern, that rock would turn out to be cracked 
Or maybe the earth shifts over time and the rock cracks. And so the cistern would be broken and it would hold no water after they spent all that time and energy digging it. This is what God is describing in terms his people can understand. He's saying, you have on your land a spring of living, fresh running water. You can have all you want whenever you want it. And yet you go and you pour all of your blood, sweat, and tears into digging into a rock, a cistern that is broken. It will never hold water. Or maybe it does for a little while, but the earth shifts, the rock cracks, and the cistern leaks. And, and God is saying to the heavens, Be a, can you believe this? My people have committed two evils. One, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And two, they've gone and dug for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. That is an important metaphor for us to always keep in mind when we think about our relationship with God. Now you're wondering at this point, where's the new covenant come in here? What is all this new covenant and cup of the new covenant? Why did there need to be a new covenant between God and his people anyway? Well, let me, let me put it this way. The old covenant given through Moses and the Ten Commandments That covenant directed God's people to satisfy their thirsts in God, to be so filled with the love God poured out on them by bringing them out of bondage in Egypt that they would then overflow with love for God above all other gods and love for people above themselves. That's what the Ten Commandments were all about. That's what the Old Covenant was about, to to remind God's people, I have loved you with an everlasting love, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of slavery. Now, be so full of that love that I have for you that you overflow with love back to me and out to people. But their history showed that they would continue to reject the spring of living waters and dig broken cisterns that could hold no water. Again and again and again. Their hearts had to change, but they couldn't change them. And the law wasn't going to change them. It was only going to expose them as thirsty people who took their thirst to the wrong places. And so God sent prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel to be the prosecutors against his people for breaking the old covenant, but also being the ones who would promise a new covenant And what would be new about the new covenant? God himself would provide the change of heart that they needed. God would make them thirsty for him. And so in Ezekiel 36, we have this description of the new covenant and the change of heart that it would bring to God's people. He would make them a new people. He would give them a new purity. He would do a heart transplant and give them a new passion He would put his spirit in them so that they would have a new power and he would renew a new partnership with them. And so when Jesus held up the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, he was saying, what I'm about to do on the cross for you will enact and guarantee all of the promises of the new covenant for you. 
And so as we come to the Lord's Supper each week and drink from this cup, what can we be remembering? What can we be thinking about? And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time exploring for just a few minutes. Because if you're like me, you thirst to belong. You thirst to belong. You, you thirst to be something special to someone else, to find your person, to find your people, to get settled in your tribe or your family, someone who gets you, people who know you fully and love you anyway, people who want to see you flourish, Man, I thirst to belong. That's because you and I were made for belonging. We were created in the image of the three-in-one God who himself is a relationship. And yet, if you're like me, you also dig broken cisterns to satisfy or try to satisfy that thirst apart from God. You, you become what uh, Jack Miller used to call an approval suck. Rather than being a person who overflows to others, you're just trying to suck approval out of everybody. Like me, you try to find your identity in your group rather than in Christ. Maybe we fall into an us versus them mentality with folks. We criticize or cancel other groups that aren't like us because we so long to belong. And even in church, we click up. We have our groups. We want to stay safe in those groups. We don't want to reach out to that other group. We long to belong. We're, we're thirsty for belonging. But Jesus says to all who thirst to belong, come to this table. Take the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which promises to satisfy that thirst for belonging that you have. And he says, trust this promise that was made ages ago. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries. You'll be a new people. John said that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God. So when you come to the Lord's Supper, confess to him all those ways that you're trying to belong somewhere. And remember and believe again his promise that in Christ you belong to the, the greatest relationship that ever was, the original relationship. In Christ we are in relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have fellowship with them. Remember that when you come to the table. But if you're like me, you also thirst to be someone who is beyond blame. You thirst to do what is right. You thirst to be good. You want to be immune to cancel culture. You don't want there to be anything 
about you that could be canceled. You want to be above reproach. You want to have integrity. And that's because you and I were made for that blamelessness. We were created in the image of the God who is holy, holy, holy. And yet, if you're like me, you also try to dig broken cisterns to try to find that blamelessness on your own. You try to perform. You do everything you can to do it right. You want to be the good kid. Or you, you boast about the good you've done. Or you get defensive about accusations that come your way and try to defend your reputation or your record. Or if you can't do that, we hide our sins. We hide our failures from the sight of others. Or maybe we, if we talk about others' failures, <laughs> be they politicians or our next-door neighbor, maybe we won't have to think so much about ours. But at the root of that is a thirst for blamelessness. And Jesus says to all who thirst for blamelessness, come to this table. Take the cup of the new covenant in my blood because it promises to satisfy that thirst. And he says, trust this ancient promise from Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Jesus says, I poured out my blood so that you would have a new purity. Paul said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you're in Jesus, you are blameless in God's sight. And so when you come to the Lord's Supper, confess to him all those broken cisterns you've been digging of ways to hold up and shore up your reputation. Taste and see his promise to satisfy your thirst, to be blameless, to have a new purity. If you're like me, you thirst to be alive, to feel alive, not to be dead, cold, and hard-hearted. And we all feel that way. We all thirst for that aliveness because Jesus said that we were made for abundant life. We were made for hearts that beat with a pure passion for God and for people. We were made in the image of the living God. And so we all crave life. But we dig broken cisterns to satisfy this thirst for life apart from God. We, we look for adventure and romance apart from God. We, we look for something that will stir our hearts and move and motivate us apart from God. And if we can't find those things that will numb our hearts with cheap pleasures so that we don't feel so dead, or at least something that will make us feel a little bit alive for a little while, but that kind of living is a passion that's all about me. And Jesus says to all who thirst to truly live, come to this table, take the cup of the new covenant in my blood. It promises to satisfy your thirst for life. And he says, trust this ancient promise from Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart 
and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone, that hard, cold, dead heart from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh that beats for me and for people. I poured out my blood so that you would have a new passion. As Paul said in Ephesians, God, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And so when you come to the Lord's Supper and you drink from that cup, confess to him all of the broken cisterns you've been digging. Taste and see his promise that he will give you a new passion, a new heart. If you're like me, you thirst to be strong. I am so weak. I'm so powerless against my me first heart. My passion to love God and to love others, though it's there, weakens quickly. But you and I were made for that kind of power to love God and love others. We were made in the image of the one whose strength to love and serve is inexhaustible. We were made for that kind of power. And yet, like me, you may be one who digs broken cisterns trying to find that power apart from God. So I, I depend on myself to improve myself. I look to depend on people and programs to fix me rather than on Jesus. And whatever you do, I, I don't pray and depend on the one who has all the power that I need. After all, that doesn't sound like a very powerful thing to do, does it? Be dependent. But Jesus says to all those of us who, ser- who thirst for strength, he says, come to this table, take the cup of the new covenant in my blood, and drink and remember the promise that I shed my blood so that you would have a new power. Remember that ancient promise from Ezekiel, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I need power and strength to love God and to love other people. I don't have it. He promises he's put it in me by his spirit. And if I would trust him and rely on him, He poured out his blood so that I would have a new power. Those in Christ can know, Paul says, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. If you need strength, come to the Lord's Supper and drink the strength that he promised that you would have in him. And if you're like me, you thirst to have a purpose. You want to do something special with your life. You want to make a difference in your world. You want to, you want to be helpful to people. You want to have a reason to get out of bed in the morning, most mornings. And we were made to have that purpose. We were made to make a difference because we're made in the one who breathed everything into existence the one who is the creator and sustainer of all things. But rather than 
drink from that spring of waters. I dig broken cisterns, try to satisfy my thirst for purpose apart from God. So I work myself to death, neglect my family because I can do the thing at work. I can't do the thing at home. I accumulate stuff and achievements. I try to create my own identity, becoming obsessed with image. Is my life Instagram worthy? I do good stuff, sure, yeah. But I want to make sure other people know I'm doing good stuff. Or here's one. I, I try to live through the achievements of my children. Or I feel defeated and in despair if their achievements aren't helping me. Or their lack of achievement is hurting me. Jesus says to all who thirst for purpose, come to the table and take the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which promises that ancient promise given to Ezekiel. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. We will have a partnership together. You and I can be, because of Jesus, in partnership with the living God. Talk about making a difference and having a purpose. Jesus poured out, of his, poured out his blood so that we would have that new partnership. So that Paul could say about us, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in, him, in them. So when we come to the Lord's Supper, we should confess all the broken ways that we have sought to satisfy our thirst for purpose. Come again, taste and see. That through the blood of Jesus, we are in a new partnership with God. All I wanted to do this morning is to remind us that whatever we're thirsting for, this cup is the promise that our deepest thirst will be satisfied. Our satisfied in Christ now will be satisfied in him forever. That's all I wanted to tell you. I wanted to encourage you that when you come to the Lord's Supper, bring your thirst. Bring your empty, thirsty, dry heart. Maybe these ways of thinking about it help you dig in a little bit and see where you're thirsty? Maybe they don't, but you bring your thirsty heart to this table every week and know that Jesus drank the cup of the wrath of God for all of those ways that we've dug broken cisterns. All of our broken cisterns were poured into the cup of wrath that Jesus faced the night before he was 
crucified. And it broke his heart that he would have to drink them because he never, ever dug a broken cistern. He always drank from his father's fountain of living water. But he was willing, because he loves you, to drink your broken cisterns and to drink the wrath of God that you and I deserve because we dug them. So that when we come to this table, we never drink a cup of wrath. (laughs) We only drink the cup of blessing. We only drink the cup of promise that we are part of a new people, that we have a new purity, that we have a new passion, that we have a new power, that we are in a new partnership with God Almighty. Thanks be to God, Jesus, we... We are amazed and humbled that you would do this for us. And would you help the Lord's table um, be more and more for us a place where we bring our thirsty hearts and you just overwhelm us with the satisfaction of your love for us. And would you do that now today, even as we come to this table together this morning. It's in your sweet and satisfying name I pray. Amen.